everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am your one of your usual co-hosts, Jeff, and uh, joining me as always from the Seattle studio is a, he's been a very busy baseball guy this weekend. It is none other than Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome. How you doing, my friend? Having a good time up here in Seattle. I apologize for what happened to the athletics, but uh, uh, you know, the Mariners got lucky. What can I say? I think I think the lack of sticky stuff is affecting. <laughs> I saw I saw a thing that the A's were like the second, the team that had the most spin rate difference since the really? uh, since the sticky stuff was being policed, and I think it's causing a lot more wild pitches by their pitching staff. Yeah, I, I saw uh, Yankees were kind of struggling with uh, some of the spin rates as well. I have. I don't know if I've just noticed it more, but boy, I think there are a lot of guys still using sticky stuff because there are guys fidgeting and doing stuff that I have never seen pitchers do since you know Mark Fidrich or or, or Gaylord Perry. I mean, there are guys rubbing parts of their gloves and their mitts that is not natural, but they're getting nobody's nobody's getting busted except for that one one guy from the Mariners a while ago. But I don't know what he had, but he swears it was just rosin and. And uh, sunblock. Yeah, but. I know he appealed it, but he he did not. It did not work. Yeah, he he did get suspended. All right, let's move on from the sticky stuff and let's get on to some BP stuff. We've got a, a very interesting show today because we've got some listener-driven segments this week, and I think you know maybe in the near future here we'll have a, a whole listener-driven show. But we've got a couple of things from listeners that we're going to do this week that we I feel like we owe some of our listeners because we were a little lax uh, a week or so ago. But before we do that, let's warm up properly so we don't we're, we're old. We're probably going to pull something anyway. But let's talk about a couple of things. I think the the biggest thing in baseball beyond I mean, it's it's the weekend. So Yankee Twitter is, is melting down as usual. But the biggest thing in the last week that has gone on in baseball is the Cleveland Guardians. Yes, it was uh, all over social media when this came out on Thursday or Friday. I'm not sure what it is. Now, I had a guttural reaction when I when I saw Guardians, but I, I stopped and I said, all right, let's find out about it. I really wanted the spiders, first of all. Yeah, I did, too. I wanted to find out where, where it was coming from. I didn't want to just make a snap judgment on on the first thing. You know, I heard about it and I am 100 percent on board with the Guardians. I'm going to I'm going to do my best. You know, we, we always try to just say Atlanta or Cleveland here when we're talking about those two clubs. I'm going to try my best to start just calling them the Guardians no matter when, unless they were the Naps or the Spiders when we're talking about them. I, I mean, I think probably a lot of our listeners know by now what the Guardians refers to. It's the, the statues. There's four of them around the city. The Guardians of Transportation, a pair of them are just about 100 yards away from the stadium which is weird because I've I've driven into Cleveland many, many times and I, I don't think I've ever seen them. I know they're there, but I never paid attention. But I, I thought something was interesting here. The Cleveland Guardians, uh, also a roller derby team that has been Whoa. around for almost a decade. Wow. There's no way that Major League Baseball would let a team take over a name where there is a possible conflict and lawsuit brewing. We'll see. Well, you know what? I was thinking it'd be perfect for our other our other podcast, which is all about roller derby. Yeah, and not just it, this is flat track roller derby too. It's I don't know if that's more uh, 
no idea what that more means. violent or than the than the uh, the uh, the curved you know on an angle track. I don't know. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. I'm sure there has to be some. They had to have known about this and have something worked out. But I also thought it was interesting, and I texted this to you when when we were kind of going back and forth about this. I thought it was interesting that the last five letters of Guardians is the same as it is, you know, and has been when they were called the Indians. When I look at the Guardians, like, word mark, it kind of looks similar because half of the word is still the same which I yes. had to have come into play also when they were coming up with this. I did notice that. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. I like the logo, though, like the the G or is it? No, it's is it a G or a baseball? And it's got like the the winged helmet on both sides. I'm, I'm down with this. I, I really am. I know a lot of people have had some really bad reaction to it, but I'm I'm excited for this. I think it's good. I like it. And Atlanta, you know, you're on the clock. Let's uh, <laughs> let's become the Atlanta Hammers. I think it's the time now. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't mind it. It's just going to take me a while to get used to it. That's all. Oh yeah, sure. I, well, but... I think it's a smart thing to do, uh, and I'm glad to see it happen. Uh, let's talk a little history. This is a baseball history podcast. That was kind of that was kind of contemporary. Oh, yeah. Let's let's steer it back to where we where our sweet spot is. The Rangers. They they're bad. They are really bad Ooh. this year. Yeah. Now, we're recording this on Sunday, and at the time of this recording, they have lost 11 straight games. That's their longest losing streak since 1982. But what's even more unbelievable is they have a leadless inning streak, meaning they have not been ahead for 95 innings. My gosh. That is a lot of losing. Man. <laughs> That's 10 plus games. That's terrifying. Well, they've lost 11, so. Yeah, at it, least you have the lead for a few minutes, you would hope. It, that's the longest such streak since the 1977 Hammers. I'm just going to start calling the Atlanta team the Hammers. I'm doing <laughs> it. And to have Joey Gallo, you would think he would just, you know, knock in a three, knock a three run homer and give him a one run lead at some point. But no, nothing. It's just uh, there's not a lot of flow to, to the team. It's like they're not clicking. Well, Even they, though they, they got some talent. They got no pitching either. They're just And we could see Gallo get, get dealt here at the deadline too. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Lars Newbar. I got nothing. Here we go. Nothing. Nothing. He has not appeared in a in a game since last week. Just wasting away on the bench. Waste it's it's kind of like Mike Trout not making the playoffs. They're just wasting him. They really are. But I did want to talk about something that I saw that is very entertaining, at least to me. So the Johnny Bench Awards came out this last week where uh, he awards the top catchers, I believe, for high school and college in each state. And the best high school catcher from the state of Ohio is none other than Trey Pancake. Oh, so beautiful. I am just waiting for Trey Pancake I, I, for, you know, in a blowout, Lars Newt Bar is going to come in and pitch. And it, there's going to be a battery of Newt Bar and Pancake waiting Man, for it. Man, that sounds delicious. Yeah. Lars Newt Bar Pancake from IHOP this fall. You can you can <laughs> get it. Uh, let's see. We've got some debuts. This show is debuting on July 27th. A couple of debuts this week. Uh, well, not this week, but this day. First one I wanted to talk about was back in 1990. Do you remember Alex Cole? Sure. I remember him because he, he was kind of an MC Hammer lookalike because he wore those 
what I can only describe as MC Hammer like sunglasses, right? But they were actual glasses. Yes, and they, I remember that. Yeah, they kind of had like he had like I'm guessing they weren't diamonds, but you know they had they had some sparkly bedazzled stuff on the side and, and so forth. And what I also remember about him is he suffered a gruesome leg injury in the Metrodome. You know, it was the Metrodome on turf. He was coming in from center field and broke his leg and his ankle. And then what I also remember is two weeks later, I did the exact same thing while playing softball. So he's always <laughs> been kind of my my kindred spirit. Alex Cole? I had no idea that you even uh, had a baseball injury. Well, it was softball. Uh, let's see. Alex Cole played for seven years in the big leagues. Most of it was with the Guardians. Three years with the Guardians. Two in Minnesota and then one with Colorado, Pittsburgh, and Boston. Uh, 280 lifetime batting average. Lifetime on base of 360. He was still when, you know, when those leadoff, when you'd have a, your leadoff batter would be your speedy center fielder. And that's what he was. 148 stolen bases career-wise. As a rookie, he had 40 stolen bases, a 300 average, and a 379 on base. That's pretty wow. good. But he could never really match that after that. Alex Cole made his debut in 1990 on this date. Uh, next, we're going to go back. I'm going to skip the next guy. We're going to come back to him. But in 1975, Ron Guidry made his debut. Oh, uh, the great Ron Guidry. Yeah, two great nicknames in Gator and Louisiana Lightning. Mm-hmm. Ron Guidry was in in the second half of the 70s and the 80s. I mean, he was one of the best pitchers out there. Won a Cy Young Award, four-time All-Star, two times he won a World Series, won five consecutive gold gloves, the ERA title a couple of years, spent his entire career with the New York Yankees. And in 1978, which was his uh, Cy Young year, went 25-3 and with a 1.74 ERA, 16 complete games and nine shutouts. Not That's bad. insane. Yeah. With uh, with a whip of .946. Again, when you've got a starter that's got a whip under one, that's good stuff. That is quite an impressive uh, list of accomplishments. Only had four losing seasons in his entire career. One was his first year when he was 0-1. One was his last year when he was 2-3. and so a uh, pretty consistent pitcher throughout and uh, ended, ended up with 170 wins, 91 losses, and a 3.29 ERA. Ron Guidry, the first immaculate inning thrown by an American League pitcher in the ninth inning of a ball game. Mm. Pretty good. Came in August yeah. 7th, 1984, struck out Carlton Fisk, Tom Pachorek, and Greg Luzinski on nine straight pitches. Those guys are no slouches. Also, number 49, retired by the Yankees in 2003. And we like to make fun of how many numbers they've retired, but he deserves <laughs> it. All right, now uh, let's go to a guy that's kind of sandwiched in the middle, but I wanted to save him for last. And I know you know this guy. In 1985, Charlie Kerfeld makes his debut for the Houston Astros. You know how much I love Charlie Kerfeld. I love Charlie Kerfeld, too. I mean, for a guy that only played for four total years in the big leagues, <laughs> there's a quite a bit of there's a lot to unpack here about Charlie Kerfeld. First of all, let's just hit some stats up. Like I said, only four years in the big leagues, four with Houston, and then he was traded to the Hammers to end the 1990 season where he actually helped the the, the, the Hammers went three and one. Well, he was there. Ended up with an 18-9 and nine mark, a 420 ERA. Nice. 
okay numbers beyond that. Like not nothing outstanding. But this guy is one of those guys that you and I love because this guy is a goofball and this guy has a good time wherever he is. He is one of those baseball characters. Yeah, and we've talked about him. We talked about him uh, when we were talking about, I think it was Strange Contracts, and and we'll hit on that here in a little bit. But uh, first of all, in uh, this was a good one. In 1987, he was asked if he only had one week to live, what would he do? And this was his reply. He said, I'd get Hulk Hogan, Brian Bosworth, Charles Barkley, and I'd have a four-man tag team match with the Four Horsemen. A little bit more of our, you know, our wrestle, our wrestling crossover that we tend to do every now and then. Uh, also, alternative career options. After he had uh, shoulder surgery in 1988, he said arena football would be his first choice, which is right after shoulder <laughs> surgery. That makes sense. Uh, second, World Wrestling Federation. And then maybe go back to college to get a degree in brain surgery. <laughs> or get this or become an assistant clubhouse guy. Same thing. Did that? Or, wait, he had one more. Go to Harry Wendelstadt's umpiring school. I mean, he's kind of, he's got a lot of things, a lot of, lot of irons in the, in the fire here. <laughs> but, uh, this is what you mentioned, I believe, in an earlier episode. Uh, wore jersey number 37. He learned that Jim Deshays had signed for $110,000 in 1987. So he asked for and received $110,037.37 plus 37 boxes of orange jello. <laughs> it's a true story. I mean, okay, so what? Jello's probably, it was probably like 50 cents a box at that point. So that's only. <laughs> That's not, that's not really tacking on a whole lot. but Yeah, actually, I had the opportunity to talk to Mr. Kerfeld once, and I asked him specifically, what did you guys do with those 37 boxes of Jello?" And he looked me in the eye and he said, son, you don't want to know. <laughs> maybe he sent them to the Mariners for Jello gate. <laughs> maybe. Maybe he let them. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, let's see. March 1st, 1987, Kerfield declared that he would buy up to 3,000 tickets per game to give away to charity. Without a discount, which the Astros weren't going to give him, the cost of the seats would total as much as $1.6 million. Remember, he was only getting paid $110,037.37. So he decided that probably wasn't a good deal. Yeah, that would be tough. He was also remembered for always wearing his Lucky Jetsons t-shirt under his (laughs) uniform when he pitched. And this t-shirt had the Jetsons dog named Astro on it. Nice. I get it. Yeah, get that. Uh, Also was one of, this used to be on all the videos for baseball. He would also wear a rubber conehead mask in the dugout, along with Larry Anderson, noted prankster, and Dave Smith. So if you're funny. if you're too young to remember, that was a Saturday Night Live skit where who was it Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin? Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, yeah, yeah, they were they were they were from outer space, and I think they even made a movie in the '90s that was probably awful. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, he was also a fashion plate. He would be known to show up to the ballpark wearing pink high tops and a Rambo camouflage outfit. <laughs> Which goes so together like you, Jeff. really well. Yeah, I mean, we have the same the same fashion sense. So Charlie Kerfeld, I I know that went a little long for for debuts, but he is too good to not talk about. Yeah, absolutely, just a great character. We need more of those guys in baseball today. 
Okay, let's get on to trivia. Last week, I asked a question about Ty Cobb, Tyrus Raymond Cobb. He had 46 inside the park home runs during his career. That was the American League record, but it was not the Major League record. I wanted to know who actually set the Major League record for inside the park home runs. Mark, did did you come up with anybody? Uh, Absolutely did not, but I'm going to throw a name out there. Spike Owen. <laughs> Good old Mariners captain Spike Owen. No, that is uh, that is not correct. Might have had one. All right, so uh, that is not correct. Uh, but we do have an answer, and we actually got a correct answer from one of our regulars, Chris Cook. It's Jesse Burkett. He holds the oh, major wow. league record with fifty-five inside the park home runs. Where was he playing? Yellowstone. Uh, Jesse Burkett played from 1890 through 1905. So that might answer some of your questions of (laughs) how did he get that many inside the park home runs? He might have been playing in a couple of parks that did not have fences. Yes. Which is how all of my Little League home runs happened. (laughs) I just did them and they just kept rolling. 75 home runs in his total, uh, in his career, 55 of them were inside the park jobs. You know what? I don't think I could run the bases 55 times. Yeah, he was total. in shape. He, he was in shape. Get this, though. Career 338 hitter. He thrice led the league in hitting, including uh, in, 19, in 1895, he hit 405. And the following year in 1896, he hit 410 with 240 base hits. Wow. Yeah. He yeah. is inducted into the Hall of Fame. As I said, he was he was uh, batting champion three times, and his nickname was Crab, which is <laughs> odd because to me that mean that I would think maybe he ran kind of funny, or maybe he just had long arms. I don't know. Jesse Burkett, fifty-five career inside the park jobs. There you go. Very nice. All right. Uh, so we're going to get on to the first part of our uh, listener-inspired part of this show, where, first of all, I need to apologize because uh, one, of our, uh, one of our loyal listeners, Brian Krause, sent in the correct answer, uh, I believe, the last two weeks. And I looked in my notes, and he is in my notes as having the correct answer, and I did not acknowledge that he had given us the correct answer. So I, I first of all, I want a, a, a mea culpa. I want to say, I'm sorry, Andrew. And then I reached out to Andrew and I, I asked him to provide a trivia question for this week's show as, a, as an apology. So this question comes from uh, one of our listeners. And the question that he asked is, who is the only player to have his first career hit be an inside the park home run? So going right along, question. yeah, it goes right along with with the question we just we asked last week and answered. Who is the only player to have his first career hit be an inside the park home run? <laughs> it's weird enough I'm, when your first hit is a, is a home run in the first place, but when yeah. it's an inside the park job, that's obviously very very odd. I had no idea that could even that had ever even happened. And there is an answer though, and it is not Spike Owen. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I was going to guess, Mike. (laughs) All right. So that's going to wrap up our BP segment. Mark, let's get into the main segment of the show. This week, the responsibility falls on your shoulders. So why don't you tell us what we're going to learn about this week? Well, we've been talking a lot about Joe DiMaggio. So I read, I found a few more things about him. I've been reading a lot of of 
baseball stuff lately. Interestingly, Joe DiMaggio uh, started off his career in the Pacific Coast League for the San Francisco Seals. I had no idea. I didn't know that. That was in the, it, it, back then. Minor leagues were not affiliated necessarily. There were a couple teams that were. The PCL kind of was the major leagues of the West Coast, and uh, Joe DiMaggio was a hometown boy. And he uh, actually, his brother, some guy named Vince, he uh, was not happy with how the team was going. He said, "Why don't I bring my brother Joe into play?" So he did. Joe was 19 years old. And he became an outfielder for the Seals. He uh, mostly liked to play tennis, to be perfectly honest. That was his, his game of choice, was tennis. But he decided that playing baseball with Vince would get him out of working on his dad's fishing boat. That's how we came to know how we got one of the greatest players in history. He's trying to get out of work. Sounds like me. But uh, <laughs> I couldn't hit as well. Vince was a good ball player. And uh, he uh, is mostly remembered, though, for bringing his little brother to the game. Uh, at 19 years of age, okay, Joe's playing shortstop. He got a, he got a couple of hits, and uh, one of them – here, I'll, I'll read a little quote here from you from uh, uh, former Seals pitcher Lee Stein. This is from the book I Remember Joe DiMaggio. Vince said that he had a younger brother who could fit the bill. So our manager, Ike Cavani, said, okay, bring him out tomorrow. Bring him out. So Joe came out, and he played shortstop. He got a couple of hits, hit one up against the left field fence. Steel Stadium was like a big airport, you know? You could see he had the great natural ability even then. Makes you wonder how far away the fence was. This is pretty funny. As a side note, I actually own a couple of seats from the original Steel Stadium I, that I purchased. They moved all the equipment up to Tacoma in the Pacific Coast League once San Francisco got the, you know, the big league team. You mentioned that. I just, I quickly looked up. Left field was 340 feet. Well, it says in 1931, it was 340. Then in 1958, it was 365, which that, that's almost center field in some parks. Well, if, if you ever want a little bit of history, uh, Cheney Stadium uh, of the Pacific Coast League at Tacoma Rainiers has, uh, has the light standards and some of the other equipment from seal stadium they at least they didn't go to waste you know yeah i've been okay. meaning i've been meaning to seal stadium is obviously no longer there but there is a monument for it and it's like two or three blocks away from where my wife works in san francisco so i've been meaning to check that out and also just a note joe uh, joe dimaggio was born in martinez california which is about 10 minutes from where i sit right now yeah he grew up a san francisco seals fan so another one of those cases where you get to play for your favorite team uh, now, Joe's defense was a little suspect at shortstop. He ended up being a much better outfielder, as you could probably have figured out. He was very athletic, but he didn't have the most accurate throws to first. Uh, one of the accounts said that his throws to first put everyone in the stands in danger. And uh, one time, an errant throw came real close to hitting a guy named Charlie Graham in the head. Charlie was the owner of the San Francisco Seals, so that would have been bad. He wasn't in the lineup all the time because he didn't have a position really to play. But uh, after a while, his hitting was so good, they tried to figure out what was going on. Uh, something very interesting that, that just blew me away is uh, in his first pro season, okay, Joe DiMaggio is playing for the Seals, and he puts together, I kid you not, a 61-game hitting streak. Joe DiMaggio of the 56-game hitting streak that probably never be broken – 
had a 61 game hitting streak his first year of pro ball. We talked about the 56 game hitting streak and how uh, one player at third base took a couple of hits away from him. And then he had another streak right afterwards. But he was obviously a very consistent player because he did it in the PCL for 61 games. And we've talked about the PCL before. It's not like it, it wasn't the the major leagues, but it was pretty close to an equivalent. It was it was not a bad league. It was a high quality league. And uh, interestingly, of course, he started getting very popular. And uh, he was never one to uh, do well with the media who nicknamed him Deadpan, which is kind of mean, but also kind of funny. So in the PCL record for hitting streak is actually um, 69 games. So Joe couldn't quite get there to uh, defeat a guy named Joe Wilhoit had a 69 game hitting streak. They actually brought in Lefty O'Doul, who was a, a Yankee and a veteran of 11 seasons in the majors. And he, they brought him on to kind of prepare Joe and get him a little more up to speed on playing Major League Baseball. He ended up being very close with Lefty O'Doul and kind of a father-son, or but maybe more of a big brother, little brother. Uh, they were close. They were friends for Joe's entire career. So in 1935, he had an amazing season. He hit 398. Uh, one point behind the leader, Ox Eckhart. So Ox hit 399. Joe came in a close second with 398. And uh, Gene Lillard had uh, 34 homers, and, and Joe was second again in home runs. And uh, Jim Oglesby and Moose Clabaugh each had 48 doubles, and right up there with 34 was Joe D. So his rookie well, his before his rookie year, his minor league first year, he put up some incredible numbers. The thing that stood out to me was that 61-game hitting streak. Okay, so under uh, DiMaggio's new mentor, Lefty O'Doul, he actually earned MVP. He was the MVP and he led, uh, of the PCL, and he led San Francisco to the PCL championship. That, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the greatest minor league campaigns by any hitter of all time. Mr. Joe DiMaggio, as a teenager before the Yankees. Lots of fun. Would have been amazing to have seen this guy at the age of 18 and 19 do what he was able to do. Yeah, I wish they had some better statistics looking it up on Baseball Reference for his four years in the PCL. Really not a whole lot of stuff. They've got hit totals and average and slugging, as well yeah. as home runs and doubles and triples, but really not a whole lot of a whole lot of detail, as I'm sure the, the bookkeeping wasn't spectacular. DiMaggio uh, did lead the league in, a, uh, in RBI with 154. He led in triples with 18, and he scored 173 runs. Jeez. So now you got to remember, these are not 162-game seasons. Sometimes they played as many as 200. Yeah, he he's listed as playing 172 games that year with 270 go. hits. <laughs> which is still, that's a lot of hits. So my, my uh, whole point here in this uh, entire segment is to say that Joe DiMaggio was very good at baseball. I love the teams from those PCLs. The, my, dad, oh my, my dad grew up being, he was a Sacramento Solons fan because he grew up in Sacramento. Looks like they were also called the uh, Sacramento Senators, Portland Beavers. Hmm. The Portland Beavers have been around. I mean, I remember they, they were the Beavers, the AAA club. You know, 20 years ago, they were still a Portland Beavers, the Oakland Oaks. I've talked about them. Uh, the Mission Reds, the Los Angeles Angels, the Hollywood Stars. And they had great uniforms, too. Oh, absolutely. The, the old Pacific Coast League is not talked about enough, I don't think. There were some great players and some 
as you say, some pretty awesome uniforms and cool stadiums and, and stuff like that, too. Ebbetsfield Flannels has a great collection of PCL hats, jackets, shirts, a whole bunch of stuff. All right. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, Joe DiMaggio, before he got to the big leagues in the Pacific Coast League, just, yeah, yeah, you want to come play baseball with me? Did uh, so that was Vince. Dad's both that way. Yeah, well, did uh, did Dom ever play in the PCL too? Yeah, Dom played in the PCL. Did there were six brothers, I believe, in the DiMaggio family. Uh, let's see. So Dom hit in three years: three oh six, three oh seven, and three sixty for his three years wow. in the PCL. And then Vince played. Uh, Vince played for let's see, like five or six years. He also played for the Hollywood Stars. But okay. uh, not as many stats there. But he still hit uh, 321, 288, 293. So he was still, you know, doing pretty well. As, he was still a pretty good hitter as well. A few other talented players that played in the PCL. Uh, the Wainer brothers, Lloyd and Paul, both played for the Seals before Joe DiMaggio showed up. And uh, the San Diego Padres of the PCL had a guy named Ted Williams that played for them. And he was pretty good, too. Maybe you've heard of him. All right, so that's going to wrap up the middle part, I guess the middle innings of the show. And we are going to get into the uh, final segment of the show. It is the segment that we like to call Wax Packs Heroes. Wax Pack Hero! Hello, Jeff. Hello, Mark. This is your nemesis, Marshall also known as the Kangaroo Cop. But I'm not taking you to court today. Instead, I hope to add something special to today's episode of Wax Pack Heroes. While recently sorting through a large batch of 1991 Don Ross baseball cards, I had the idea to create some custom wax packs for the podcast. Each pack in your hand includes some Hall of Famers, some popular player names from the junk wax era, and one Easter egg card of a show favorite. I'm not sure what the rules will be when you rip these open, but I hope these packs make for a memorable cardboard-based gladiatorial combat segment. Dun, 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 dun. Got one of our normal listeners, one of our regular listeners, uh, Marshall, who is uh, maybe best known for hitting us up in Kangaroo Court, which at one point seemed like every episode, but I think we've, we've kind of stepped up our game. He goes by the nickname the Kangaroo Cop, but I think he's more <laughs> of a district attorney, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, he was nice enough. What he has done is he has gone through and he has sent us a couple of packs to open and play with in Wax Packs Heroes. Now, these are not just Wax Packs, though. These are curated packs that he has put together. So I don't know what's in these. I'm going to guess they're players probably that we might not have covered so much in the past. He even made some custom covers for this, which is very impressive. We'll make sure to put a, a picture of this up on our social media so you can see he spent a lot of uh, a lot of time to do this. And we really, really appreciate it. And I don't know. I think this could this could definitely be a thing if listeners want to send us some specially curated <laughs> packs. It's a great idea and a lot of fun. Marshall is, is, is a fantastic person. I, I've enjoyed getting to know him a little bit. All right, so let's let's get right into this. Before we do that, though, let's go over the rules. Now, we said this last week. We're going to stick with it. This we're, we're starting the third season right now, today. Marshall's packs okay. here are opening day for us. Uh, if you're new here, we've got a couple of new rules this season. First of all, we're going to go by whatever year the card is. We're going to go by that baseball reference war. If there are a couple of modifiers as well, if the player is wearing glasses, eye black, 
ski goggles, anything like that on their eyes in the in the card, they're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing real stirrups that we can see actual sanitary socks underneath them, we're going to give them an extra tenth of a point of war. But if they're wearing those two and ones, we're going to minus a tenth of a point of war. If you are wearing a sweatband with your caricature or your jersey number on it, we're going to give you a tenth of a point for each one of those. If you won an award that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, or a gold glove, we're gonna give you a half a point of war. If you are now in the Hall of Fame, you're gonna get a whole point of war. And another new thing this year, we're each gonna pick a team each week. Every player that I pull from the team that I picked, I'm gonna get an extra half a point of war. But if Mark pulls a card from my team, he's gonna minus a half a point of war. So Mark, this is the beginning of the season. So the slate is wiped clean. So you can pick any team you want this week. Who are you going to go with? Well, I, I, I'd like to go with the Astros this week. You're going to go with the Astros. I am going to go. I'm, I'm going to go with the Yankees. I think I, I have no knowledge, but I'm going to guess that Marshall's put a couple of Yankees in there. It's hard to avoid them. Yeah, well, it is. So <laughs> I'm going to go with the Yankees. You've got the Astros. Uh, a little bit different. You have possession of this these packs. So Packs in hand. And uh, guess what? You get a pick right or left. Oh, well, I'm going to go left. Okay, you got it. I get to be the home team now. Okay, if yeah. We do that. You, you, this is <laughs> in your ever. hands. I'm so excited. Okay, here we go. We're going to open up this pack. The one on the left side, in the left hand. Okay, what we have here from Marshall is 91 Donruss. Okay. 91 Donruss. So your first player is, for the Toronto Blue Jays, Mr. David Wells. Boomer. Known for purchasing uh, Babe Ruth's hat, I believe. And, and then wearing, wearing it. it during a game. Yeah, he had to get special permission, didn't he? I can't remember. I just remember thinking, what are you doing, dude? Yeah, I, but think, hey. I think he had got special permission. I think he got to wear it for one inning. I mean, it looked obviously a lot different than the, the, the modern hats. Boomer wanted to wear number three when he got on the Yankees, but believe it or not, the number was retired. Although people did wear it after Babe Ruth left. We've already talked about that. So he wore number 33 which he wore for most right. of his career. He did wear three when he was in Boston, though, when he was at the Red Sox. In uh, 1991, with Toronto, this was uh, Boomer's fifth year in the league, went 15-10 and 10 with a 3.7 ERA. It's an ERA plus of 114, and that equates to a war of 3.1 right out the wow. gate. Now, you're going to have to help me out because you're going to have to look for all these modifiers. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah, I'm not used to the total umpiring thing. Yeah, you're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to work. Got that killer mustache. Yep, but we're not doing facial hair. There were no awards in 1991 for Boomer. He, uh, he's got the uh, two and ones. It looks like. All right, so that that's gonna bring you down to a 3.0 even. This is you, pal. Oh, this is me. Oh, that's right. Well, that shoot, I was I was all excited. You were getting a minus, but uh, yeah, that'll be me. Interesting. Uh, it, not unexpected though. Boomer has a tattoo of Babe Ruth, as well as, you know, having purchased his his actual game-worn hat and wanting to wear his number. But I'm wondering, is it a whole, like, a big back piece, or is it just, like, something on his ankle? Or what, like, I want to know where it is. It's a big, giant number three with pinstripes tattooed on his back, is my guess. I'm guessing it's a head. It's his head. I bet it's his head wearing a Yankee hat, maybe even with a cigar in his mouth. That's what I'm <laughs> going for. We'll have, to, we'll have to get David on the show and ask him. Okay. All right, your next card is a third baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals, and a guy that was a, a pretty darn good ball player, Mr. Terry Pendleton. Terry Pendleton. But I, you know, I remember him mainly for the Braves. I'm sorry, the mm -hmm. Hammers. Uh, just because he was, 
he was on those teams when I was watching the hammers on TBS. And then I've got to find, I have a picture of me holding his MVP award. Nice. Yeah. I remember Pendleton also mostly as a brave, uh, good third baseman. And uh, he swung a heck of a bat. And I remember him being pretty darn good in the postseason, too. This is good news for me, because in 1991, Terry Pendleton was the MVP of the National League. Oh, boy. Yeah. So he led the league with 187 hits, a 319 batting average, and a 139 OPS plus. And that equates to a war of 6.1, plus the MVP is 6.6. Wow. Is there anything else on this card that's going to help me out? No glasses and no, you can't see the stirrups or socks. All right, so that uh, that will bring me up to 9.6. Man, that's a good start, dude. Yep. That's only three cards in. All right, your next card, it's an MVP card for the San Diego Padres, Joe Carter. That probably means he was the MVP the year before, though. If, well, if, I think <laughs> there were certain, like anybody in this particular set, anybody that was considered uh, for the MVP award had an MVP, I think. Got it. Well, yeah, he came in 17th in MVP voting the year before. He oh, came in. Close. He came in fifth though in 1991, hmm. and it was his first year with Toronto. He only played one year in San Diego. Hmm. Yeah, for some reason, I, I always think he's played more. But in 1991, his first year in Toronto, uh, he did make the All Star game, but we're not giving any uh, any awards for that. 273, 33503 slash a 124 OPS plus, and that equates to a war of 4.7. Gracious, man. Well, I think, yeah, I, I'm guessing that these were, these are good players, so I think we're going to have some high scores today. So that'll bring me up to 14.3, pending anything on the, uh, on the card that's going to help me out. Listen to these, these people that Joe Carter was either traded with or for during his career. First, he was traded uh, by the Cubs to the Guardians, and included in that was Rick Sutcliffe. Then he was traded from the Guardians to the Padres with Alomar, Sandy Alomar, Carlo, or no, for Sandy Alomar, Carlos Baerga, and Chris James. Then he was traded by the Padres with Roberto Alomar to the Blue Jays for Tony Fernandez and Fred McGriff. Those are some good big names that he was traded with. I mean, obviously, yeah, those he were was, some big trades. Yeah, he was a great player. So he, you know, to get him, you're going to have to give up a lot. How, how big that I remember how big that Roberto Alomar trade was with uh, Joe Carter. And then for uh, what did you say, Tony Fernandez? Both of the Alomars, Roberto and Sandy, Carlos Baerga and Rick Sutcliffe for the other guys and Fred McGriff. So, yeah, Joe was always uh, Joe was always a scary hitter at the plate. Yep, of course, one of only two players to end the World Series with the home run. Thanks to Ricky Henderson dancing off second base and distracting uh, wild thing. Right. I, we did talk about Joe Carter because we talked about him uh, and the plot point in the Adam Sandler film, Big Daddy, that uh, <laughs> the child was conceived uh, while celebrating Carter's walk off home run. That's right. You remember where you were when you hit that home run? I remember exactly oh, yeah. where I was. Oh, yeah. I was I was in college. I remember I remember exactly <laughs> uh, we were in our apartment. I was watching it and I was kind of happy because it was Ricky Henderson got a World Series ring, but I was not rooting, you know, I wasn't really rooting for the Blue Jays, but. Yeah, it was, it was amazing to watch. I was at this place called the Ale House drinking a diet soda. <laughs> Very responsible. Also, uh, <laughs> 2008, Carter appeared on an episode of Pros versus Joes. Oh, wow. Remember I remember that. that kind of. I don't think I ever watched like the whole series. Yeah, I watched, I, I would always watch it if there was a baseball player. But yeah. All right. So yeah. I am, uh, I'm at 14.3. You know, I'd, I'd just like to point out that uh, you, if we had the facial hair going on, you, you would have had three guys with mustaches. Let's make it four because Seattle Mariners reliever Mike Jackson has a mustache and he's your next card. Did Mike Jackson ever have, you know, like music as he was coming out? Was that before? I, I don't recall. 
Well, it's, he he last appeared in two thousand and four, so I'm sure I'm sure somebody at somebody somebody at some point had to play beat it or bad or I bet you they played bad if he was on the road and he got rocked and was leaving. I bet you they they play a little Michael Jackson bad or beat it. Seems it. a little rude, but I get it. Oh yeah, well yeah, they got to do it. <laughs> Ninety one Seattle Mariner went seven and seven, three point two five. Might have been the best pitcher on the staff that year for the Mariners. Might have been. Yeah, one twenty seven ERA plus. That equates to a war of 1.9. All right, your next card is one of the great hitting catchers of the era. And uh, he uh, was born in L.A., but makes his home in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, Mr. Brian David Harper. We all know the soft spot I have for Brian Harper. I think you were probably meant to get this pack with Brian Harper. <laughs> I did not know. Where did you say he lives in? Lake Havasu? Lake Havasu City, yeah. he uh, He's lived there for quite a long time now. Love spring break. Just wants to live it all year, I <laughs> guess. Constant <laughs> spring break, man. <laughs> all right, so 1991, Harper was with the Twins. I, I mean, that, that's obviously where I think of him. You you might think of him most with the A's just because that's when you got to know him. But 1991 with the Twins, uh, 311 in 123 nice. games. Like when that's Mike Piazza like numbers. Like what? Who, could hit. What catcher? I mean, Buster Posey. I guess what catcher? It's three eleven. I hate exactly the band three eleven. I hate them by the <laughs> way. But never mind. We're not. This is not about me. Uh, member of the nineteen ninety one, of course, that year World Series team with the Minnesota Twins. Let's see. That equates to a WAR of two point zero. Anything else on that card going to help me out? Nope. Uh, we can't see the stirrups. Uh, like you said, he does have the mustache. You'd have been four for four with mustaches. Um, but nope, nothing else is going to help you there. All right, you're, you have a Hall of Famer, my friend. All right, ding, ding. And one of uh, both of our favorite players, second baseman for the Chicago Cubs, Ryan Sandberg. Wow. Well, this is good because Ryan Sandberg, we've talked about so much on this uh, on this pod. We don't need to go into extreme depth. We can just look at his 1991 season where he did not, by the way, hit 19 triples this year. He only hit two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did win a gold glove this year. And he was an all-star this year as well. So that helps me right there. With the Cubs, of course, played uh, his entire career, except for those 13 games in 1981 with the Phillies. In uh, 1991, he hit 26 home runs, 100 RBIs even, 138 OPS plus, and that equals 7.0 war. He's a Hall of Famer, and he's an all-star, and he won a gold glove that year. So let's see how many fingers and toes here I can use. So that's seven. That's eight for being a Hall of Famer. He's got an extra full point for being an all-star. And uh, for the gold gloves, that is nine points even. Is there anything else on that card that's going to help me? No, again, it's like Donruss didn't want you seeing anybody's feet this year. So no, <laughs> nothing else. All right. Well, that's good. I mean, we've, we talked about the Sandberg game just a couple of episodes ago. So yeah, Ryan yep. Sandberg, one of our all-time favorites. And I love the name Ryan. Absolutely. All right, man, your next card, an outfielder slash designated hitter for the Texas Rangers and one of the great uh, amateur players of all time, Pete Incavivia. Inky. Inky was uh, kind of an all or nothing guy. Um, he actually went straight from being drafted to the major leagues and never saw minor league time until later in his career yep. when he was trying to be back. One of the few players, you are correct. 1991 was his lone, well, no, I guess his first year in Detroit. He also spent uh, part of 1998 in Detroit, only played 97 games, uh, 11 home runs, 38 RBIs. That is not an inky-like uh, year yeah. for Pete Incavilla. That equates to a war of minus 0.1. There's my, my first ding. No awards there on that. You know, he usually had a mustache, but we don't count that this year. No. 
So anything else going to help me out on that card? I'm looking at the stirrups, and they look like real stirrups, pal. All right. Well, I'll take that. He's inky. Of course he's going to have real stirrups. Uh, That makes sense. Let's see. Also played in Japan for Chiba Lote. 71 games, 10 home runs. He stayed for a good portion of the year, which... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's something we always look at. But yeah, Pete Ingevilli, one of those guys that went straight to the majors. I think I well, guy had forearms. Like he and he and Greg Jeffries, I was always jealous of the size of their forearms. Just Paul Bunyan like. Yeah. Very, very Popeye-ish. Yeah, it was uh, big, strong hairs. Uh, have you ever heard of the Pete Ingevilli rule? No. So the Expos drafted Ingevilli, signed him, and then immediately traded him, which uh, after that, they made a rule that said you cannot trade a drafted player until he's been under contract with the club for at least one year. That changed, though, in 2015, where you can now allow you can now uh, trade drafted players the day after the World Series concludes. Ah, OK, well, there you go. Now, that's some good baseball history. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, also, Incavilla was named in Jason Grimsley's affidavit as an alleged user of amphetamines. Not steroids, <laughs> but amphetamines. Everybody used it. Amph- the greenies were oh my gosh. like. Bubblegum in the, the back in those days. That's nothing. Yeah. And, and literally, when I worked in the clubhouse in Tacoma, it they were everywhere. You could just grab a handful, you know? I was re- I'm still reading the Keith Hernandez book, and he said that there were often three jars of greenies, different types, depending on what you needed that day. I mean, they're just, it was like candy then. Yep. Amazing. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what are these? And uh, like, just, never mind. <laughs> All right, your next card looks like he landed another Hall of Famer, my friend. We call him the Hawk. All right, well, Andre Dawson, another one of those guys. Boy, we talk about him a lot. He comes up a lot, whether it be here or just, uh, I mean, he did a lot of things in his career. 1991, was uh, he was in the middle of his Chicago Cubs days and yep. uh, an all-star this year. That'll help me out. Just kind of a typical Andre Dawson year. 31 home runs, 104 RBIs, uh, 116 OPS+. Plus. And that equates to a war of 2.9. He's a Hall of Famer, so that's 3.9. And uh, he was an all-star. So that'll be a 4.4, pending anything on that card that uh, might add or subtract. Ah, uh, man. Let me take a look here. Yeah, you can't really see anything. He's not wearing glasses, and you can't see the stirrups. Okay. So that'll bring me up to 30.7, which is about our average already. So that's good. Man. All right. Yeah, your next card is a Padres pitcher, Dennis Rasmussen. Dennis Rasmussen. I remember him being on the Padres when they wore the, the kind of orange pinstriped uniforms. Oh, yeah. In, yeah, in, exactly. In I remember that. Well, it'd be I in the late 80s. Early really 90s. good for the Yankees, too. Yeah, so it looks like he actually came up with the Padres in 83. And then in 84, he was on the Yankees and spent four years there before going to Cincinnati and then eventually back to San Diego. Um, in 1991, 6-13 with a 3.74 ERA, and that will equate to a war of 0.1. <laughs> so, I mean, it's better than negative. Uh, anything, or are we just, uh, all these cards, just uh, the usual headshots? There's another guy with perfect vision, no glasses, and uh, you can only see him to the knees. Nothing really there. He's throwing a, what looks to be a splitter. He had a really good shot of his uh, of his hand behind his back as he's getting ready to throw. And it looks like he's got his hand into a split finger fastball. Hmm. That's kind of cool. So uh, growing up, uh, he had a really bad accident on his bicycle on Labor Day. Oh, wow. And which severed his foot. It's a little gross, which is hanging by only the Achilles tendon. The emergency room doctor told him they were going to amputate it. But an orthopedic surgeon was able to save it. And uh, after that, he had no cartilage in his left ankle. 
That's crazy. Uh, he also operates a, a dairy grill in Trenton, New Jersey, it looks like. Nice. We'll have to check it out next time we're in Trenton. Or maybe it's Michigan. I don't, I don't know. He's got, apparently he's got two locations. Ooh. Yeah, Trenton, Michigan. Yeah. So it's a franchise. You're in Trenton, Michigan. Check that out. All right. I'm at 30.8. And you've landed another Hall of Famer. Nice. Mr. Eddie Marie. Then with the Dodgers. Of course, mostly remembered as a Baltimore Oriole. Yeah, and he, he, would, he would play. I mean, I think he got injured just like one season, but he would play 155, 160 games every year and hit you 300 or around there. Very consistent ball player. Yeah, in his career, 3,026 games that he played. Wow. 1991 with the Dodgers. He was an all-star. That helps me out. 260 with, uh, let's see, 19 home runs, 96 RBI. And that equates to a war of 1.3. He's an all-star. So that's 1.8 and then a Hall of Famer. So that is 2.8. So that'll bring me up to uh, back to uh, up to 33.6. And you've got an Oakland Athletic. All right. This is a guy that won a few games here and there. And in fact, in 1990, he won 27 of them. I'm going to go ahead and say it's Bob Welch. You got it. It's Bob Welch. All right. So Bob Welch. I mean, well, we've talked we've talked a lot about Bob Welch, mainly because of the Go-Go's. In yes. 19, uh, you said it, 1990, he won 27 games and took home uh, uh, quite a few awards. But in 1991, not quite the same Bob Welch. 12 and 13, uh, he did start 35 games, very healthy, 4.58 ERA. And that equates to a war of minus 0.4. That doesn't help, Ooh. Bob. I've got some worse news for you. Uh-oh. He's wearing two and ones. Oh, Bob. I think I think he's the one that did the dumping in the go-go situation, but I would have dumped him <laughs> if I saw him wearing those. But yeah, he always wore those with the A's. Everyone on the yeah. A's did at that point. Even Ricky. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Well, you, you are down to your last card. All right. And uh, one of my favorite players, a guy that could hit no matter where he was, Mr. Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield. Well, he is definitely not a Hall of Famer. Uh, I might get minus points for his son being an idiot on uh, on social media. Uh, Gary Sheffield, I, this, every time I see this, I, I mention it because I always forget it, and I, I forget that he is the nephew of Doc Gooden. Right. Uh, let's see, in 1991, Sheffield still, I wonder if he was still wearing his braces at this point. Remember his, his rookie card, he was wearing braces. In uh, 1991, last year with Milwaukee, he hit 194. Mm, <laughs> in only 50 games. As usual. Yeah, in only 50 <laughs> games. He... Started out a little slow. 90, he, he had a pretty good year. He must have been hurt in 91. And then in 92, he became an all-star and took off after that. And, uh, boy, I remember the two well, you years. Get, uh, you get the 91 stats. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that doesn't help me a whole lot. Let's see. In 91, that equates to a war of minus 0.3. He did not close uh, close well there, Jeff. I'm sorry, minus 1.3 even. Oh. Um, let's see. Did, we didn't have any Yankees uh, or Astros, did we? We've forgotten about those. Uh, we did not. Well, you know, that's 31.8. I'm I'm happy with that. That's right about our, our average. Yeah. No, not bad. That was a good pack and some really uh, fun players to talk about. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's now swing it over to the bottom of the ninth and see who you can come up with. All right. Opening up. Pack number two. Can you hear the crinkling? Yep. Sounds like you used real wax. <laughs> that's right. All right. And we are, again, Donruss, 91. And my first card is a pitcher for the Cubs, Mike Harkey. I remember Mike Harkey. I do too. I don't remember if he was any good though. <laughs> uh, you know, if you told me he only pitched for eight years in the big leagues, I would say that is kind of low. 
but uh, five of it was with the Cubs. 91, he was definitely with the Cubs. Only appeared in four games, though. 18 innings, uh, struck out 15, and walked six. And that equals a war of 0.0. Well, at least he didn't go negative on me. Yeah. So you've got that going for you. I'm going to assume it's probably just a head and wheel or a head and shoulder shot. Um, he's actually in the uh, pitching motion, but you still can't see his stirrups. And there's no glasses. So this is this is interesting. Um, well, first of all, his son played for the Los Angeles Rams as a tight end. Doesn't tell wow. me. Doesn't tell me what year. But uh, this is <laughs> Mike Harkey in 1992 during pregame warmups attempted a cartwheel in Wrigley Field and severely damaged his knee. Hey, why? Don't goof off. Uh. You're there to warm up. Don't don't do those things. So unless you're Ozzy Smith, what wasn't it? Uh, was it Mo Rivera that tore his ACL or or his Achilles or something? Shagging fly balls during BP. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Just not not good. Yeah, man. Watch out. All right. So you're at zero. I'm <laughs> like at zero. It. You know what that means? That means that Mike Harkey is exactly an average in the middle baseball player because he is no wins above his replacement. Yeah. He is as average as you're going to get in that year. <laughs> All right. Next, I have a Hall of Famer, and he is here with the White Sox, Mr. Frank Thomas. Uh, Frank okay, Thomas, thanks. yeah, big hurt. Also uh, big on supplements uh, on, on TV. Yes, I've, I've seen that. He, I think he does a pretty good job uh, on Fox, I think it is, especially during the playoffs. I enjoy Frank. Yeah, he was always a great ball player, and he always seemed to have a good attitude. Never got in any trouble, you know, just just a, a really the kind of the kind of guy you would say, hey, this is a this is a guy you want to emulate. Huge guy. The- yeah. Huge guy. Ne- never heard his name with steroids. He was always huge. Obviously, he played football oh, yeah. at Auburn, too. Um, yep. Similar to uh, similar to Bo Jackson at Auburn. Uh, 1991, his second year in the big leagues. He did win a silver slugger, although I don't have that on my list of, of awards that we are giving points out for. Uh, came in third in the MVP validating, led the league in walks, on base, OPS, and OPS plus, had 32 home runs, 109 RBI, and an OPS plus of 180, and that equals a war of 7.0 plus. He is a Hall of Famer, so that is 8.0, barring anything on the card. Thank you, Frank Thomas. Uh, yeah, there's nothing on the card that'll, wait a minute, does he have glasses on? No, he doesn't, that's just the, the he slap. He used there. to wear eye black all the time. Any, any eye black going on? No, he's just, no? Uh, he's just staring down the picture. And uh, you can't see his stirrups, but I'm going to assume they were uh, neither two and ones nor regular stirrups. Well, he usually wore his, his pants were, he was one of those guys that wore high tops and then had his pants down all the way. All right, the that's right. Yeah. All right, so you are at eight even. All right, and I got a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, a swamp hunting alligator wrestler. Good old Ben McDonald. <laughs> one of my favorites, Ben McDonald. Big Ben, uh, about as crazy as he was good. Fun to watch. He was the uh, Orioles. He was the number one pick in the June 89 amateur draft. Nine years in the big leagues for Ben McDonald's. Most of it was with the Orioles. Last two years was in Milwaukee. In 1991, he went six and eight, only his third year in the big leagues with a 4.84 ERA and 82 ERA plus. And that equals a war of 0.1. No alligator wrestling stats there. So it'll just be 0.1 pending anything else on the card. And it looks like he's not wearing any stirrups whatsoever, just orange socks. Yeah. And no, nothing around the eyes. All right. So, Big Ben here, um, alligator wrestled me a few points, I hope. Uh, on the 88 Olympic team, won a gold medal. Oh, wow. uh, also uh, was uh, in the College World Series several times at LSU. That's kind of a given, isn't it, if you're on LSU? Yeah. 
says here, uh, second member of his draft class to reach the majors, coming up three days after John Olerud. Didn't John Olerud, wasn't he another guy that didn't spend any time in the minors? Right, Olerud uh, went straight to the big leagues out of uh, Wazoo. Yeah. So uh, that will bring you up to 8.1, slowly but surely. And next on the docket, Mr. Vincent Van Gogh, Vince Coleman. You know, uh, he was the guy that the, uh, the tarp ran over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, uh, Vince Van Gogh in 1991, his first year in New York with the Mets. Uh, I'm not sure if this was the uh, the firecracker incident year or whatever. Once he left St. Louis, he could not stay healthy. Just uh, yeah. He was injured for most, like half of the year, every year after he left St. Louis. 1991 with the Mets, only appeared in 72 games. On base of 347, OPS plus 92. He had 37 stolen bases, 14 caught stealing. That after leading the National League for the first six years in a row of his career. And winning Rookie of the Year in 1995. No awards, though, in 91. And that equates to a war of exactly 1.0. At least we're getting even numbers. Yeah, uh, you, you, know. you, are, <laughs> you are very slowly getting even numbers. Uh, it, it keeps because I'm not so good at mathematics, and so that's helpful. That's why I've got a calculator going on here. Uh, and I hate to say this, but Vince looks like he's got the two and ones on. Oh, uh, well, that, well, that'll bring you back down to an even nine. Okay. I mean, we've, we've talked about Vince Coleman as kind of, frankly, he's a jerk. <laughs> 1985, this is his quote. I don't know nothing about him. Why are you asking me about Jackie Robinson? <laughs> what? A reason? Wow. <laughs> He's one of the great ballplayers of all time, and there's a lot of special stuff about Jackie. Yeah, yeah, he kind of did some important stuff. Uh, Vince had a streak of 50 successful stolen bases without being caught before he was nailed by Nelson Santavania. Do you remember that name with the Expos? Boy, I I don't. I'll be honest. That's. uh, I don't think I've said his name maybe since (laughs) uh, maybe since way back there in uh, 1989. All right, so you're at nine even. All right. My next is one of my favorite players. I had the pleasure of meeting this guy and getting my Funko figure of him autographed last year, Mr. Jay Buner. Bone. The bone. Bad to the bone. That's uh, always his. It was always his walk up song and it was perfect for him. Now, do we want to institute the extra points for Seinfeld references? I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not, not, not a whole lot of people that you can do that with, but uh, Jay Buner, let's see, in 1991, you know, except for that, that season and, well, not, it was only 32 games he played in pinstripes before he was traded for Ken Phelps. Ken That's Phelps, right. my people are telling me Ken, Ken Phelps. Phelps. Ken Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> so 1991 in Seattle, uh, no awards for Buner. Buner was only an all-star one time. I would have thought he would have made it a couple more times than that. But uh, typical Buner year, 27 home runs, 77 RBI, 242 average, and a 128 OPS plus. That equates to a .6 war. You've got some work to do here with probably not a lot of cards left. I'm a little behind, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I feel a big surge of offense coming. And now I got uh, an all-star from the San Francisco Giants, the first baseman, Mr. Will Clark. The thrill. We talked about him last week, about he and Rafael Palmero being thunder and lightning. Well, at Mississippi right. State, but not liking each other. That's right. And yeah, you know, I, I think Will, for just for his middle name alone, should get some extra credit. William Neuschler Clark. Uh, well, you're going to notice on Ben McDonald, his name's not Ben, it's Larry. It's kind of odd. <laughs> well, Chipper's name is Larry, too. Uh, <laughs> so you're going to like this. 1991, all-star year for Will. He came in fourth in the MVP voting, also had a gold glove that year. So there's a whole extra point there for you. 
he had uh, 29 home runs, 116 RBI, 301 batting average, a OPS of 895, and a 154 OPS plus. So I'm going to guess you're going to score pretty well here. 5.2 plus your extra point for those uh, for the All Star and the Gold Glove is 6.2. Your your biggest gainer yet. Nice. You know what? I have to go back and, and point something out though because I forgot. Jay Buhner is wearing two and ones. Oh boy. Will Clark has real stirrups. Well, okay. Well, it's, it's so they can't even her out. out. <laughs> okay. All right. Next, a shortstop for the Atlanta Braves, or as you like to call them, the Hammers. Yep. Andres Thomas. I remember Andres Thomas. He wore a uniform well. Not sure you're going to get a whole lot out of this one, but uh, six yeah. years in the big leagues, all of it with the Hammers. And uh, 1991, unfortunately, 90 was his last year in the league. So, well, it was fun <laughs> to see a picture of him. <laughs> well, so... Uh, Andres Thomas, not a great offensive threat. So much so that uh, Don Sutton, who was doing the Braves games at that point, asked hypothetically during one game, why would you ever even throw him a strike? (laughs) So you think, okay, he doesn't, not much of a stick. He must be good defensively. Well, he led the National League in, uh, the National League in errors from the shortstop position with 29 in 1988. Mm. <laughs> See, I kind of remember him being kind of flashy over there, making some good plays, but uh, maybe he wasn't so great with well, balls hit right at maybe, him or Yeah, maybe he could make the flashy plays, but nothing else. Uh, <laughs> career-wise, not. a minus 5.7 war total. So you probably got off lucky not yeah. being in the negative there. <laughs> and good news, real stirrups. So Andre oh, did something so he right. Got you, he got you something. All right, so that'll bring you up to 15.9. Again, my, right. my final was 31.8. All right, next, I've got the, uh, well, he was the 1990 American League MVP, Mr. Ricky Henderson. Oh, That's right, I got the Ricky card. <laughs> yeah, too bad I didn't pick the A's because that would have been a minus point for you. But uh, yes. yeah, well, I was figuring that Ricky or, or Nolan would be in, and we'll probably, maybe Nolan's in one of the other packs, the other two packs he sent us. But, <laughs> yes. Wow. I mean, how much do you want me to say about Ricky Henderson? Just listen to some of our past episodes. I think I've said it all. Uh, of course, MVP in 1990. He was still an all-star in 1991, so that'll help you out there. Led the league in stolen bases. Shocker with only 58, you know, kind of coming down to, to earth. Very average. Yeah. Uh, only hit 268 that year. But Weird. 400 on-base percentage. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the year before that, he led the league with a 439 on-base percentage. I mean, that is just... That's almost that's half ridiculous. of the time he is getting on base. And, and it's it's not just that he's getting on base all the time. You're putting a guy on base that, that is going to take second yeah. and maybe third. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. The one guy you least want on base. On base percentage is probably, out, out of the slash line of batting average on base and slugging, on base is kind of my go-to that I look at. Yeah, me too. Career average of 401 on base percentage. I mean, that's just that's crazy. crazy. Uh, let's see, in 1990, that equals a nine point, or I'm sorry, in 1991, that equals a 4.6 war. He was an all-star, so that'll be 5.1. If you can see his stirrups, I'm afraid you're going to minus uh, no, it's something. it's just an upper, uh, another bus shot. So that will, oh, he's a Hall of Famer, too. Don't want to don't want to miss that out. So uh, that will bring you up to 22 even. Next is an old buddy of mine, also an Oakland Athletic. So if you'd have picked the A's, I'd have minus two points yeah. now. <laughs> a, a fantastic relief pitcher in his own right and good buddies with Terry Steinbach, Mr. Todd Burns. Todd, it burns. 
Let's uh, see. Good guy all over. Just, just a, just a nice dude. And, and he always remembered me and, you know, we had the, uh, to make you jealous, I'm going to bring it up. We had uh, lunch or dinner yeah. with, uh, Todd Burns and Terry Steinbach. Yeah. That does make me jealous. Is he the one that taught you how to play hearts? Is that? Uh, no, that was, um, uh, Mike Heath. Mike Heath. Ah, catcher. Yes. Uh, 91. I, I don't think your buddy's going to help you out here very much. Only appeared in nine games. He did go one and oh. Uh, I guess an ERA plus of 116. That does equate to a war of 0.2. All right, so you're you're in the positive there. Uh, anything else going to help you out? Let's take a look here. No, he's just got his usual, what the heck are you taking a picture of me for look on his face? He was nicknamed the Mad Hatter because he would frantically tug on the bill of his cap and readjust it prior to every pitch. As well as uh, he was also known as third degree for his uh, penchant of giving up runs near the end of his career. <laughs> I would have thought third degree would have been in reference to his last name, but what do I know? I'm, I'm sure it is partially because of that. <laughs> All right. And my next one, another MVP card. Then we've discussed this guy and his incredible talent at closing ball games, Mr. Lee Smith. We certainly have uh, Lee Smith. So you got a Hall of Famer, of course. In uh, 1991, also an all-star for St. Louis, 6-3, and three, led the league in saves with 47, an ERA of 2.34, 67 strikeouts in 73 innings. That's not bad. And uh, that will equate to a war of 2.3. He's a Hall of Famer, so that's 3.3, and an all-star this year, so that is 3.8. He also nice. uh, came in second in the Cy Young voting that year, so so close. Wow. But... Uh, at, this is not uh, horseshoes or hand grenades. No, and Lee with just an upper body shot, no glasses, and we don't know what kind of stirrups he's wearing, if any. Or pants, for that matter. We, we just We're, we don't know. We have to speculate yeah, at this point. That's right. All right, next is a, a guy that came up today in our discussions of Charlie Kerfield, well-known prankster Larry Anderson. Uh, he's going to be on the ballot for the uh, Two Strike Noise Hall of Fame. Uh, Gotta be. Nicknames, L.A. Okay, that makes sense, Larry Anderson. Uh, also, Mr. Jello. We know where that comes from. <laughs> I, that was great when we had Rick Riz on a couple of weeks ago, and he he told us about the follow-up the next year that we did not know about. But right. if you haven't heard, listened to that, make sure to go back and listen to the uh, Jello Gate stuff. 1991 was his first year with the Padres, went 3-4, and 2.3 ERA in 38 games, a 167 ERA plus, so that'll probably bode well for you. That equates to a war of 1.2. All right, it's in the positive. And uh, Larry has another special place uh, for me in that in, uh, in 1990, the Red Sox really needed a right-handed reliever, so they went to the Astros. They got Larry Anderson for some third baseman named Jeff Bagwell. So Larry Anderson does Phillies uh, games. I think he's still doing them. This is something that he said. <laughs> this is a quote from, from uh, Larry Anderson. He said, quote, in the seventh inning, fans get up and they all sing, take me out to the ballpark. The thing is, though, they're already there. It's a really stupid thing to say, and I don't know who made him sing it. Why would somebody that's there get up and sing about taking them out to the ballpark? The first person that, to do it must have been a moron. Of course, uh -oh. yeah, you know, Harry Carey was the first one to have it be broadcast out into the stands, but definitely not the first one to sing it. Gary Anderson's words of wisdom. Yes. <laughs> All right. So you're at 27.2. So you've caught up essentially. I'm at 31.8. Is this your last card? The last card. All right. And um, he was an outfielder for the Phillies at this point. Dale Murphy. When you said Phillies, for some reason, I, I had Dale Murphy because it was 91. Yep. So let's see. We know, unfortunately, not a Hall of Famer. 
No. Uh, this near the end of his career, he uh, spent three years in Philadelphia and then wrapped it up in Colorado in 1993. In 91, played the entire season, 153 games, hit 252, 18 home runs, 81 RBI for a 103 OPS plus, And that equals a war of 0.8. Oh. So uh, unless so you've close. got something spectacular on that card to help you out, you're at 28 even. Weird. I just noticed on the card, he's wearing 11 pairs of glasses. <laughs> okay, no, there's nothing on the card. Well, that would still no, equal like a, 1. I'm going to start 1. the season 0-1. <laughs> uh, yeah, just to make sure we didn't have uh, any of our teams come up, right? No Yankees or Astros. Not a Yankee or an Astro. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take it. I'm 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 opening day. I'm I am ahead. Oh man, I'm not used to being in this position. I'm a little nervous. Yeah, I think you got time to come back. But uh, so that's going to wrap up this episode. Again, we want to thank Marshall for sending that in. Uh, he did send in two other packs. We're going to hold on to those and we'll uh, open those in a future episode. But uh, hey, he's uh, Marshall's laid down the gauntlet. If you want to put together a curated special pack of of players that uh, you want to have us open and talk about. Uh, go ahead and do it. We can, uh, you can send us a DM. We can tell you how to get it to us. And uh, we really appreciate it, Marshall. Thank you very much. All right. So let's wrap up this episode. Mark, thank you again for talking about uh, Joe D and the PCL. It's a lot of yeah, uh, single letters. If you want to follow us throughout the week, you can do so on social media. You can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. You can find us also on YouTube. And I've got something in the works. In the works. I did some work for some stuff that we'll do on Twitch that will eventually also end up on YouTube. But uh, you can find us on both of those uh, platforms. You can find all of this in the show notes. Mark, you want to tell them about the email address that people have been sending things to? Sure. In fact, we got a number of emails this last week, and we certainly appreciate it. If you haven't gotten a response to an email yet, don't worry, you will. Uh, you can email us at two strike noise, spell it out, T W O, strike noise at gmail.com. Mark is a really bad reader. He's got to spell things out real slowly. So just give him a little <laughs> bit of time and we will get that's back right. to you. All right. That's going to do it for another episode of Two Strike Noise. We will see you again next week on, uh, I guess, another episode of Two Strike Noise. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 